0: This is the first sermon in a four-week series on Noah. Turn the house down just a little bit, please. Series title is Noah. It's okay, we'll get there. Series title is Noah, faithfully following the Lord. Still a little bit too hot, I think. And though Noah is an example to us, the idea of, let me tell you what the sermon is not. The idea of the sermon is not copy Noah and God will be happy with you. It is not that. Because to tell you to copy any Bible character and God will be happy is to put a burden on you. You cannot carry and I cannot carry. We're going to see over these next weeks. Noah is fallible. He is not perfect. God is the one who is faithful and that who works faithfulness in us. So remain seated. Let's read together our scripture. It's going to be Genesis 6, verses 1 to 8, and let's read it together from the screen. Let's read. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, as we begin the sermon, I want to begin with a four-word summary of the Bible. Four words that give you the big picture of what God is doing in the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And we looked at these a few weeks ago. In creation... God created everything and rules everything. And if you think about it, this means that God existed before anything else existed. God's creation was good, perfect, and beautiful, and there are still evidences of the goodness and beauty of God's creation today. In God's creation, God also made man to be in relationship with him, but everything did not stay perfect. In the fall, man rebelled against God, and everything was corrupted. We call it, quote-unquote, the fall, because humanity fell from perfection. When Adam rebelled against God, death and destruction and brokenness entered the world. And you and I add to that mess when we sin. In the fall, every part of our humanity was corrupted, and that is a very important thought. Every part of our humanity was corrupted. But God doesn't leave everything broken. That takes us to redemption. In redemption, God redeems a people for himself. We just saw that thought in the catechism. Another word for redeem is rescue. God rescues people from living death and eternal death. And he rescues us from death because... God is life. If we turn away from God, we're turning away from life to death. Then restoration. God restores what is broken. God is restoring people, and one day he will restore the earth. In the church, we say that the restoration is already and not yet, meaning the restoration has begun, but it is not complete yet. One day, God will make a new heavens and a new earth and will complete the restoration. And in the book of Genesis, we see the creation, the fall, and we see hints of restoration and redemption. It's also helpful whenever you're reading the Bible to look at the context. You're in the middle of a book, what have you read already? What's in there before? So it's helpful for us to to put our verses into their context. So here's a summary of the first part of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the creation. In Genesis 3, we have a record of the fall, Adam and Eve rebelling against God. We also have, in the middle of God's giving them the consequences of their rebellion, the first hint, the little promise, little hint towards redemption and restoration. In chapter 4, we read about the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And if you've read the, the account, you know that Cain, as uh, a man, ends up being jealous of his brother Abel and murders him. Cain is uh, banished by God, and there's a little bit talk uh, that we're told about Cain's descendants. In Genesis 5, we have the generations from Adam to Noah. So Adam, Seth, who, who came, was born after Cain and Abel. Adam Seth and others down to Noah and that takes us to Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 1 of chapter 6 We see that people multiply on the earth Just as God had commanded in Genesis 1 that mankind Fill the earth and subdue it They were having children. They're beginning to do that But we will see the direction that their lives took which is away from God Now in verse 2 there's a particular phrase that Bible scholars have multiple opinions on. And that phrase is the words, sons of God and daughters of men. And I'm not going to review all the options, but I will say this. Here's a good rule. If you ever have a question on how to understand a verse or a passage, look at what the rest of the Bible says. So, as we have this phrase, I believe the phrase sons of God and daughters of men may very well be a reference back to Genesis 2. Some of the ideas are pretty wild when you actually hear them. I believe it's pointing back to Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, you get the overview of creation. In Genesis 2, God gives us details. And in those details, he tells us that God makes Adam out of dust. And and the picture is, if God had hands, he was forming Adam out of dust. And when God makes Eve, if you remember that, God makes Eve out, out of Adam's rib. So in Genesis 2, the woman comes from the man. So you have the phrase, sons of God, daughters of men. And I believe that the point of the first few verses here is that people married and had children, and people began to fill the earth. In verse 3, God limits the lifespan of people. When you read Genesis 5 and those generations, and you see how old some of those people, how long they lived, up up to 900 years or longer. But after this declaration, what you see is that lifespans begin to decline. But remember this. God is the one who gives all physical life, and God is the one that sustains all physical life. Many people today say that God has nothing to do with our physical life if there is a God at all. They say, if there is one, so maybe there is. That's a beginning of everything, but he's totally disconnected. He just kind of started everything, and now everything just goes. Now, God tells us in the Bible that God numbered our days for each one of us before we were born. The verse is also a reminder that the fall resulted in death and decay and destruction. People die. Then in verse 4, we encounter that word Nephilim. The word Nephilim is only used twice in the Bible. And the explanation for the word is given later in the verse. Nephilim are mighty men of old, men of renown. And I believe what he's saying is, these men did great things now this is contrary to the idea of evolution where over millions of years mankind developed from animals to primitive man to more advanced man not schools there's an example in a, in the movie the good dinosaur now it came out a few years ago i only saw it this year but in the movie dinosaurs can talk and they can build and they have farms and the humans are more like dogs. It's pretty well done as a story. It's just not true. It doesn't fit with the truth that God has given us. There are many things in our culture that are contrary to the Bible. Well, as we look at verses 1 to 4, and it's been a very brief look, remember that there were no chapter breaks in the original text. Chapter 5 is the generations in, in These verses give us a good conclusion to those generations, that people were filling the earth. But it also sets the stage for what comes next, which is verse 5. In verse 5 we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now notice those first words, the Lord saw. This is similar to what we have in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, as God is creating, God saw what he had made, and it was good. Now God sees only evil in man. So let's look at that phrase. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And remember, a good way to understand it is to look at other scriptures. And so we get an insight, actually just a few verses later. Genesis 6, verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Do you think he's trying to make a point? In just two verses, three times he's used the word corrupt, and he added the word violence. When people turn away from God, the result is violence and evil of one kind or another. Remember Cain in chapter 4. God actually came and warned him, and, pain, and gain, Cain ignored him, and the result was murder. In the church, we use the phrase total depravity to describe man's condition. Now, this is not saying that we are as bad as we can be. It's a way of saying that every part of man was corrupted by sin. And we see this in the book of Romans and in fact, what we're going to look at, Romans three ten to 12, is quoting the Old Testament. So it says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So again, notice, none, no one, and all. These don't leave anything out; they don't leave anyone out. Again, it's not saying that we're not that, that we're as bad as we can be, but the only reason we're not as bad as we can be is because God's spirit limits or re, or, or restricts the evil of man, including in us. Now, we we started off with that four word summary, and the first word was creation. Remember that God created man not only to obey God, but also to depend upon Him and to enjoy Him. God made man to be in relationship. And in Genesis 3, when you look at Satan's temptation, Satan's temptation in Genesis 3 was that man can be, quote-unquote, like God. That is, man can be independent of God. We don't need Him that we can relate to God on our own terms. So it's a complete contract, a complete contradiction from the way that God made us. Now remember God is totally good and there is no evil. So when you and I and if you and I turn away from God and we do, we turn away from good and we turn away from spiritual life. Now remember this as well. Mankind's evil covers a wide spectrum from the most horrible to the everyday. On our own, even if you and I, quote, quote unquote, do good things, and I put it in quotes because people do good things. People give and serve and sacrifice. But on our own, our good is corrupted by our rebellious attitude towards God. And we can't fix ourselves. Now, given what I've said, you might think that life in Noah's day was horrible. Horrible verse 5, he says, there was wickedness and there was evil, only evil continually. Well, in the New Testament, we get a glimpse, we're given a glimpse of what life looked like in Noah's day. And this is Jesus speaking in Matthew uh, 24, starting in verse 37. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So Jesus, in these verses, is actually talking about his second coming. But he wants people to understand what it was like, so he points back to the time of Noah. He says, here's what was going on. People were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, life was normal. Okay? Remember, this is still connected to verse 5. Do you see that our normal includes evil? In fact, we have never known any other kind of normal except a normal that includes evil. And in our normal, fallen mankind always seeks to worship themselves rather than the creator. Let me just double check. Is this mic working okay? No, it is not. All right, so I'm going to go to this one. And I'm going to turn this one off. Okay, the shield is not working today. All right. In our normal, fallen mankind, we worship ourselves instead of God. Our fallen culture seeks to change and manipulate the truth about following God. And God tells us we're deceived about our sin, both its presence in us and how great it is. And as a result, we don't want to admit our sin and rebellion. But it's there. And so the key concept in verse 5 is that phrase. Every intention of the thoughts of man's hearts was only evil continually. And in verse 6 we read, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now again, let me start with what it doesn't mean. This is not saying that God is sorry because he made a mistake. Okay, you will never hear the words from heaven, oops, or Oh my goodness, that was not what I meant to have happen. Or, oh no, I forgot. You're never going to hear those words from heaven because God doesn't make mistakes. What it shows us is that God has feelings like us. But remember those four words, and the first one was creation, and that we, mankind, are created in God's image. We are made in His image. Since he has feelings and he made us in his image, we have feelings. And so God tells us he is grieved over the wickedness. He's not surprised over it. He's grieved over it. And why is God grieved? Because God made mankind to be in relationship with him and mankind consistently turns away from God. God's also offended, not just grieved, but offended because he's our king and mankind consistently rebels and disobeys him so he says he is grieved over that wickedness and that evil and then in verse 7 the Lord said I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I am sorry that I have made them and so here we see God's righteous justice Eric thank you for your words this morning for the prayer confession and for what we had in the catechism when you ever see the word righteous, think we're right. We see God's right justice in God's wrath, his anger in response to man's rebellion. Now, contrary again to what you may hear in our culture, God's wrath is just and good. God cares about how you and I treat each other. God cares about how we treat him. God is our king and he's given us laws to protect us. And and think about it. Our sin and disobedience must be punished if God is going to be just. If he's just going to sweep it under the rug, that's not justice. And there's part of us, again, because I think we're made in, in God's image, we want to see justice. Now, part of our twistedness, corruptedness, is we seek vengeance. Which is not the same as justice. Vengeance is, you hurt me a little, I'm going to hurt you a lot. And then you look at history and you see peoples with vengeance against each other. How how can you stop it? If you believe that there is ultimate justice. If you believe that God is just and will ultimately bring justice, then you can say no to the vengeance. And God is saying he's going to bring justice. And the consequence in verse 7 is a reversal of creation after a fashion. This is what I mean. In Genesis 1, God made all things. Now God says he will blot them out. So this is an example of God's judgment. And God has promised an ultimate judgment where one day everyone will give an account to God. And that includes us. And our only hope is in God's mercy. And that's what we see in verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now again, I'm going to start with what this doesn't mean. Some people explain the verse this way. God is looking over all of mankind. He sees the evil. He sees the wickedness. He sees the corruption. It's bad and bad and bad. But in the middle of all that, he sees one man. Oh, isn't he so happy he finds one good man, Noah. Not. That is not what this is saying. Noah wasn't naturally good. Noah is part of the none is righteous from Romans 3. Okay? What this is saying, what this verse tells us, is that God chose to give Noah his favor. Just as God chose to give Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, his favor. And God chose people like you and me. And again, not because Noah deserved it, because Abraham deserved it, or the people of Israel, or because you and I deserve it. We don't. But this is part of God's plan that you see throughout the Bible, to have a spiritual family. Many times through the Bible you will see this phrase. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's building a spiritual family. It's part of the redeem and restore So what we've looked at so far through verses five to seven, things look pretty bad. God is seeing very clearly, accurately what life is like. It's, there's wickedness and evil. He's grieved, and he's going to bring judgment. But as we see in the New Testament, the Lord didn't leave people without a witness to the truth. This, and this is where you see it most clearly in the New Testament in Second Peter two, Noah preached. And in 2 Peter 2, verse five, the verse is part of a larger thought, so if you're a naturally grammar, grammatical kind of person, you're gonna say, well, this is not a complete sentence. It's because it's not, it's just part of the sentence. If he, referring to God, if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, dot, dot, dot. He continues his thought. Peter's looking back, And he's talking and he's saying, we've seen, we've heard the story, the account, the true account of Noah and what God did. He didn't spare the ancient world, he destroyed it. That's how he destroyed it with a flood. But he preserved Noah and seven others. But then there's that word, herald. That word herald means that Noah preached. Noah told people what God said. Now we're gonna look in more details in the next few weeks as to what Noah did But one of the things we see in what Noah did was that the Lord remembered his promises. God provided a way of rescue. He had Noah build the ark. And I like to say that God had Noah build a monstrosity in his backyard. Okay, when you look at the dimensions, we think the, the, the ark was about 450 feet long, 45 feet tall. It is really, really big. It took him 100 years or maybe even a little more to build the thing. Okay, and if you wonder what that really what that really looks like, go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. They've got a, a life size replica. Now, when I went the last time, they were still working on it. I don't think they're trying to rebuild the entire ark. Are they? The entire thing? Are they? Have they finished? Oh, they have finished. Uh, okay. All right. So. Right. Okay, has not been inspected. Thank you. Here's one of the things that I think you would come away if you went to see it. You know, we're told and we're going to see, I think, next week that, that God uh, he has him build the ark and God brings the animals two by two, just two of each kind. I think there's plenty of room for many people on the ark, not just Noah and his family. I think there was lots of room, and what that tells us is that people ignored Noah. They couldn't miss this thing he's building in his backyard. Not only is he building it, but he takes time to tell them, hey, this is what God has said. Just like in Genesis 2, God told Adam, while everything was still perfect, I've given you all this food, there was one tree you may not eat, and if you do, here's the consequence, death. And here God is speaking through Noah to the people, watching him build the ark here's what God sees, here's what he's going to do, and here is his way of rescue. Do you want it? And they didn't take it. Only Noah's family chose to listen to Noah. Now, remember the sermon title, Faithfully Following God in a Rebellious Culture. It's easy to see that our culture is rebellious against God, but so are we. One of the phrases that I've seen over and over again in this one devotional that I really like is the writer says, you need God to rescue you from you and I need God to rescue me from me because you are your worst enemy and I am my worst enemy because of our sinful, rebellious, selfish nature that we all have. So we need God to rescue us and the good news is that God has provided that way of rescue." And we call that good news the gospel. But for the gospel, God's gospel, his good news, for us to see it as good, it was like Eric was saying with the uh, prayer confession. You've got to see the darkness and the light together to realize that the light is so good. And that's what we need. We need to agree with God about our own evil, rebellious nature. And when we do, we call out to God and God says, here's my rescue. You and I need God working in our lives if we want to faithfully follow God. And what you see from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through to the end is that God loves to work in people's lives. He loves to rescue. He's doing it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for warning us and also telling us of our own darkness, and the rescue that you provide. Thank you for this example that we see in Noah. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your goodness, your justice, your wrath, but also your mercy and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song.